Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, supporting individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities as they age. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on December 18th, 2019. In this podcast, Dr. Gerard Cairns, Associate Clinical Professor at the Yale School of Medicine, gives an overview and brief background on individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, and also discusses considerations for clinical care as they age. So it's an exciting time to care for people who are aging with intellectual and developmental disabilities, but inherent in that, obviously, there are some challenges. And what I hope to do is outline some practical approaches to managing some of those challenges so that we can maximize function and quality of life for these special populations. The number of older adults um, with these disabilities, intellectual and developmental, is obviously increasing. And as I mentioned, with that come specific challenges to try to provide the best possible care. Dual eligibility is not uncommon. And the reason for these Uh, the increase in life expectancy is multifactorial. In addition to medical advances, there are improvements in public policy, systems of care, uh, and other factors which have really enhanced uh, the lifespan for persons with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So just to set the context, older adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities are at increased risk for developing comorbidities compared to younger or compared to cohorts at a younger age. And these may be biological factors, but I think there are other circumstances that also contribute to this increased risk. Things such as limited access, challenges physically in terms of getting appropriate care, Um, and environmental challenges such as, you know, sensory deficits or even practical ways in which they are examined, which can interfere with the healthcare appointments. Um, Older adults with such disabilities may have higher rates of obesity, may have poor nutritional status, less opportunity to be physically active compared to the general population. Other specific conditions might include increased rates of dental disease, mental health illness, and the like. Um, and then certainly certain types of cancers might be more common in a younger age, but as these populations get older, other comorbidities emerge, such as dementia um, and similar such conditions, which do occur at, at an earlier age. So in addition, there are some behavioral challenges which may impact on the overall quality of care and applying that care, things such as, as I mentioned, dementia, but also depression, seizures, anxiety. And I'd like to point out that the incidence of these conditions is not exclusively related to the underlying disability and that they deserve the same evaluation and treatments for such conditions as younger populations, but we know that because of the disability, this may not always occur. And then there's some, you know, other medical conditions such as, you know, dental conditions, urinary tract infections, and constipation, which can also impact on medical care being applied appropriately. So why do we have health disparities with this special population? And I think there's a couple of key points that I'd like to point out. One may be the lack of formal training for clinicians. And I hear over and over again that there are many caring, concerned providers who just feel they need more information to provide the best possible care. And certainly we know that in, for instance, only three or four medical schools in the country that there are formal curricula dealing with this special population. Um, Clinicians do report at times feeling a little uncomfortable with this population. And I think if we can 
train um, students of all different health disciplines at an early age, early in their training, we can overcome this barrier where they just feel uncomfortable. Preventive services and screenings may be limited depending on the systems of care in which someone is cared for. And the other key piece is that we don't have good uniform standards of care. What applies to one group in one setting, in one system of care, may be somewhat different to another group in another setting. So I think we have to come up with more uniform standards of care and increase overall access to care, as well as financial and related entitlements to help as well. And finally, things such as transportation. Not being able to get to an appointment should not be a reason that somebody doesn't get the best possible care, but we know that this does occur not uncommonly. So at the Adler Center, which is our outpatient geriatric assessment center at Yale School of Medicine and Yale New Haven Health, um, I follow a large cohort of older adults with Down syndrome, and I follow them over a two- to three-year period, and I just try to gather some data because then we have a better sense as to what conditions we're dealing with and the like. And most of the adults that I see with Down syndrome have some IDL activity of daily living, uh, need for assistance, and the majority need more instrumental activity of daily living help, things such as shopping, cooking, cleaning, transportation, and the like. We know that those with Down syndrome as they get older have much higher rates of thyroid disease, Alzheimer's disease, osteoporosis, osteopenia, and things such as sleep apnea. And we also know that the older uh, population of Downs persons might be subjected to or taking more medications than the age-controlled younger population. And the result is that they're at increased risk for adverse drug events, interactions of medications, and the like. So deep prescribing is something that we always strive to look for as well. And we know that these multiple medications may have common side effects, but they also may increase risk of falls, memory loss, delirium, and disrupt sleep. And certainly because the incidence of Alzheimer's is higher in older adults with Down syndrome, we must be very vigilant to make sure that the perception of cognitive loss is not the result of medications and not just attributed to, oh, this is the unavoidable Alzheimer's dementia. So we, you know, we can have side effects which may be increased because they're uh, multiple providers providing different medications, there's overprescribing and even over-the-counter medications which might affect uh, or contribute to adverse drug events. And older adults with Down syndrome, you know, may have different pharmacological and physiological responses to medications such that even within the therapeutic range, a typical medication that is used may be or result in some toxicities. So, when you're providing care with older adults with intellectual or developmental disabilities, you have to be aware of certain concrete um, principles. One is that you have multiple comorbidities, um, and this might include a dementia diagnosis, which is going to impact on one's ability to elicit appropriate history and complete the appropriate evaluation. Um, we know that older adults in certain settings with these disabilities are seeing multiple providers, and also, we must rely on proxy sources of information, such as family and caregivers, who may not at all times, at all medical encounters, have all the information that's available. So you must be aware of all this as we strive to take the best, most focused, appropriate history um, in the context of these medical encounters. So if you take an incomplete history, you may 
not get the full sense of what is someone's functional capacity. You may miss chronic conditions if you're just focusing on, quote, the problem for which they're coming to see me now. Um, and you must pay particular attention, as I mentioned, to atypical presentation of typical disease. So someone might have a urinary tract infection and be falling or be more confused, which is not uncommon in the general older population. But these presentations are somewhat atypical, and you don't want to miss an underlying treatable condition simply to assume or simply because you're assuming that, oh, well, they have cognitive decline independent of what might be going on more acutely. And then also we know that, for instance, agitation is a very common sign of pain where the patient themselves may not be able to completely express that they're having specific pain issues. We want to ensure that all exams are done in an adequate environment where there's appropriate lighting, where the um, examin examinee is being made comfortable, the temperatures are, are adequate, and there is support staff if applicable who can help during the course of the history and physical taking. So you want to make sure that you're preparing for doing an exam in this setting by getting as much background information. You want to rely on those that know the patients best, and you want to be flexible. You know, we teach medical students head-to-toe exam. Many times that's not possible in a setting. You may have to examine someone in a wheelchair. You may have to modify your approach. So just being flexible and being able to adapt to what you're dealing with is one way to ensure that you're going to get the most valuable information. And certainly we always recommend and we have the opportunity here at Yale to have increased time for these types of exams. And I understand in busy practices, this may not be the case, but you want to modify your timing that you're allowed to spend with patients with intellectual and developmental disabilities so that you can not give them the sense that you're rushing and you can get all the information that you need. So you want to, as I mentioned, maximize their physical comfort. You want to Ask the, care, ask the patient who they would like to be actually in the room with you. You may want to let them, you know, use, stay in their own clothes instead of forcing them to get into an exam gown. And as I mentioned, you want to minimize wait times, not only in the exam room but in the waiting room so that that doesn't increase agitation and anxiety around the pending activities. And you want to involve caregivers and try to make sure that the caregivers have been given information before they present to you so that they know the types of questions you'll be asking and that you can get the most important information in the most efficient manner. And you want to make sure you're maximizing sensory uh, capabilities. So if someone has decreased vision, if someone needs a translator, if someone needs an interpreter because of um, hearing deficits, then you clearly want to make sure that you have all of those services in place and you would approach somebody with special sensory needs in this population the same way as you would approach any other patient who has such similar needs. Another very important component, I think, of caring for older adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities is having appropriate advanced care planning. And I think the point should be we should approach this as we do with any older population. So the more similar it is to the process with all of our patients, that's what we should strive for. But making sure that discussions are had before maybe more emergent situations arise, making sure you've engaged all the appropriate concerned parties, and also being aware of local, regional, and system approaches to advanced care planning as well. And finally, I think another crucial 
piece in caring for older adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities is caring for the caregivers, whether they be family members, formal or informal caregivers, because we know that they are on undergoing increased stress as they provide care to these populations. So you want to make sure that you're asking caregivers in whatever context they are providing care that they feel comfortable in the role, what can you do to assist them. You want to make sure they're aware of things such as respite, local support groups, um, even the Alzheimer's Association has some special capabilities with these populations. Getting people involved in other activities such as Special Olympics, all of this can go to allay some of the caregiver stress, which I think has to be addressed in the context of providing good care to older adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes a full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated and coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about the current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.